Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson, written in Daniel chapter 9, is largely a prayer offered by the prophet Daniel. Now, Daniel had lived a difficult life, but the Lord was with Daniel wherever he went. As a young man, Daniel was deported from the promised land to Babylon. And this was done against Daniel's will when he was likely a young teenager. As if being ripped away from his home by a foreign country, which was, which was ransacking the promised land, was not enough. Daniel was then chosen because of his strong-looking stature to be among the king's servants and to eat of the king's delicacies, which would then involve eating foods that were unclean for the Jewish people. So he sought to eat a diet of only vegetables to prevent himself from being defiled. Because the Lord was with Daniel, he remained healthy and strong. In fact, he was gaining strength and better looks as he only ate those vegetables. Imagine being a teenager and choosing that route so that he would not defile himself with eating unclean foods. God gave him and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, knowledge and skill in all wisdom and literature. And guided by the Holy Spirit, Daniel was able to interpret the king's dreams while living there in Babylon. The years went by. They came and went, and even the kings came and went And Daniel remained in this foreign place in Babylon. He was far from the promised land. In fact, for the rest of his life, he would remain in Babylon. And as we heard at the beginning of our reading, about 70 years have now gone by. And Daniel is still in that foreign land. The Babylonian Empire, which rose to power and conquered Judah and Jerusalem, was itself ultimately conquered. It was replaced by the Medo-Persian Empire in the year year 539 B.C. This historic and significant event led Daniel to recall the promise made by God that their time of Babylonian exile— as Jeremiah wrote in the scriptures, would be about 70 years. Daniel himself had been deported in 605 B.C. And here we are in 539 B.C. when Daniel makes this prayer in our reading. There were three waves of deportations three main attacks by the Babylonians against Jerusalem, and Daniel was caught up in that first wave of deportation. The final wave, which happened about 20 years later in 586 B.C., was the worst. 
That is when the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed. The wall surrounding Jerusalem was laid in ruins. Few escaped deportation, and much of the city's wealth was stolen, including, including the gold and the sacred vessels that were found in the temple of God. One might then ask, where is God in the midst of such tragedy and calamity? Didn't the people pray for deliverance? Why wouldn't God hear those pleas for de deliverance? How could he let such horrible things happen to his chosen people and to his holy city? Daniel knew God's actions were, in fact, just. That's why Daniel prayed, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the peoples of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. That is part of Daniel's prayer. I read to you a portion that we already heard in our reading t today. But Daniel's prayer continues for another nine verses beyond our Old Testament lesson, in which he continues to repent on behalf of the people and admit guilt. What Daniel prayed is true. The people rebelled against God, continually sinning against him. The people of Israel, God's own chosen people, had largely rejected and persecuted the prophets whom God had sent. They engaged in all sorts of idolatry and adultery. They crudely broke the various commandments of God, and they did so without shame, figuring that all is fine because they were doing the various religious rituals of their choosing in sincerity. They figured God would never harm those within the vicinity of Jerusalem because their God resided in that holy temple. They figured that they could get away with anything because they were sincere in their hearts and they remained in the safety of the temple. They did the very motions that they thought that God expected, like going through that rite of circumcision, performing some of the sacred rituals and offering various sacrifices. But as God could see, their hearts were far from the Lord Sincere faith and devout belief were hard to find among the people of Israel in the years leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. Those years leading up to that destruction in 586 BC parallel too much of what we see today. Many have replaced sacred, reverent worship of Christ, which that suits their own hearts and their own desires, they figure that as long as they're sincere in whatever they believe, God must accept their sincerity. 
Many have replaced this reverent worship with entertaining worship practices uh, or their own, or they have replaced true Christianity with their own form of spirituality. They have proudly replaced God's design for marriage and family with destructive behavior filled with sexual deviancy, lewdness, and even surgeries to destroy the body that God has made them in an attempt to turn male into female or female into male. The ministers of Christ whom God raises up are often insulted, mocked, and rejected. We should all be, as a result, getting on our knees and praying the prayer that Daniel offered in his book in chapter 9. His prayer of repentance is sincere. It is genuine, and it is heartfelt. He prays even though he himself is not personally guilty of many of the wicked crimes which were committed by his own people. We tend to have an aversion to praying such prayers. When we think that we have been innocent, but everyone else has been guilty, then we think we can stay out of it. We want to accept no responsibility, nor do we want to bear any burdens. And so we carry on pretending that we are somehow better than others, and all those who have committed the more serious sins need to figure things out on their own. How we want to wash our hands in innocence when we are not, in fact, innocent. How we want to claim a righteousness that we do not actually have. How we love to pretend to be pure when our own lips have been far from pure and our hearts have been far from leaning upon the promises of God. And so, on bended knee, we should be repenting not only of our own sins, but also of the sins of our nation and even those within our community. Even when Daniel was commanded by the governor to bow down and openly worship the king, Daniel refused and he only worshiped the true God, which he had done, as Daniel reports, three times a day since before he was deported to Babylon. His worship involved praying to God and, as part of his prayers, thanksgiving to God. What an act of faith, even though he was far from home against his will. He still saw a reason to pray in thanksgiving as he prayed three times a day. Today, countless stories have been told how many don't go to church anymore because they say too much religion was crammed down their throats when they were growing up, or because they didn't like something that was said by a pastor or by a church member. But despite what Daniel endured, he did not stop his life of prayer and thanksgiving. He could have complained about the offenses that were caused by so many of his own people who claimed to be religious, he could have blamed God for his difficult life, how so many comforts were stolen away from him at such a young and tender age. But instead, Daniel, but instead, affliction drew Daniel closer to his Savior. You see, a life of ease often results in weakness. 
but through affliction, Daniel was strengthened. And more important, Daniel knew what awaited him. He knew there was far more to life than simply what is seen and experienced in the here and now. Daniel knew that God remained merciful to him and that he would receive from his Savior the crown of righteousness, which would be awarded to him and to all who abide in Christ through faith. Daniel began his prayer saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Our great and awesome God does not break his promises. In fact, he loves his people unconditionally. And for that, we give thanks. Daniel also prayed to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, recognizing that God is truly merciful and forgiving. Every time I have read this prayer of Daniel's, I have been astounded. I have thought of it as a wonderful prayer that we would all do well to be praying ourselves. I have wondered what his three times daily prayers were like when we have this one prayer recorded. How interesting it would have been to know what it was that he was praying about had more of those prayers been passed on to us. God, of course, heard Daniel's plea. God knew the time of waiting was drawn to a close. The 70 years of exile in which Daniel had endured was coming to an end. A new kingdom had now arisen, that Medo-Persian Empire. The Israelite people would soon then be, excuse me, allowed to return home. Their arrival back in the promised land, which Daniel never got to do, was filled, though, with trials and hardships as they resettled and reestablished the land. But Daniel was received not into that promised land of Judah or Jerusalem, but into a better promised land, for Daniel was received into the gates of paradise. Daniel's salvation was not based on how good he was or on how often he prayed. Instead, his salvation was by grace. God graciously revealed himself to Daniel. By grace, later in Daniel 9, even as Daniel was still praying this prayer, he would receive a vision from the angel Gabriel that in the due time, at the appointed time, Jesus would come to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to be anointed as the most holy one. In that time, the Messiah, the Prince, as the angel Gabriel revealed to Daniel, would be cut off. That is, he would be crucified, but yet he would live. And in doing so, Christ would take away the sin of the world through his all-sufficient sacrifice on the cross. He would overcome sin, death, and the grave, and he would live to grant his people the victory. 
Despite man's continued rebellion, in love Jesus would bear the world's sin and pay for the sins of all people, including yours and mine. That's what our Savior does by grace. We do not deserve the least of his mercies. Yet for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross so that our sins would be canceled out. Even those who mock and ridicule our Lord, those who deliberately choose to transgress God's laws and purposely walk in a way apart from our Lord, Jesus died for them on the cross. He paid for the sins of all people. <coughs> By grace through faith, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. Just as the workers in the vineyard receive the same wage, so also all those who believe in Christ receive that same gift of salvation. But all those who do not believe and all who refuse to repent of their sins, the reality remains they forego and forfeit the salvation that Jesus earns and will be condemned. And so knowing this, we get on our knees and pray, just like Daniel did. We don't pray to get God to change his mind about the condemnation and the wrath to come for those who reject Christ. But instead, we pray that those who have done so would repent and turn from their wicked ways and receive the gifts of God offered through Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit would change their lives. We pray knowing that God is gracious and merciful, compassionate and abounding in steadfast love. We pray knowing that Christ has redeemed us on the cross and he lives to give us that same gift of everlasting life. We pray as victors who have received the eternal inheritance that far outweighs all the crosses and trials that we endure in this life. We pray in faith, knowing that God remains gracious. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. <clears throat>